Welcome to the podcast. In this session, we will cover the September 2018 ACOG Practice Bulletin on the use of prophylactic antibiotics in labor and delivery. The use of antibiotics to prevent infection during the antepartum, intrapartum, and postpartum periods is different than the use of antibiotics to treat established infections. For many years, the use of prophylactic antibiotics was thought to have few adverse consequences. Concerns about the emergence of resistant strains of common bacteria, in addition to the emergence of strains with increased virulence, have resulted in increased scrutiny of the use of antibiotics, particularly in the hospital setting. Awareness of the potential adverse events of resistant bacterial infections on neonates has been growing. Attention has been focused on the effect of mode of delivery or early antibiotic exposure on the neonatal oral and gut microbiome, which is essential for immune development. Finally, cost is a consideration in the use and choice of prophylactic antibiotics given. In this session, we will cover the new ACOG Practice Bulletin, which is number 199 from September 2018, covering this use of prophylactic antibiotics in labor and delivery. Remember that the goal of antibiotic prophylaxis is to prevent infection, not to cure or treat disease. In contrast to the therapeutic use of antibiotics, prophylaxis must be administered before the potential exposure and usually for a short duration defined as less than 24 hours. The goal of prophylactic antibiotic use is to have therapeutic tissue levels at the time microbial contamination might occur. Delaying administration by even a few hours reduces or eliminates the benefit of prophylaxis. Ideally, the agent of choice should have a low incidence of adverse effects and be long-lasting, inexpensive, and narrowly focused on the likely bacterial pathogens, which are usually endogenous flora. All right, well, let's begin our clinical discussion talking about prophylactic antibiotics in the obese OB patient. Increased doses of prophylactic antibiotics have been recommended for the obese patient. That's a weight greater than 80 or a calculated BMI greater than 30. Cephalosporins, which are commonly used prophylactic antibiotics perioperatively, have increased volume of distribution and drug clearance in obese patients. Initial recommendations for increased doses of ANSEF from 1 gram to 2 gram were based on bariatric surgery literature. These studies showed that a single pre-op dose of 2 grams of ANSEF achieved intraoperative serum and tissue levels comparable with those who were non-obese who received a 1 gram dose. Now, although a 1 gram dose, according to the college, can be considered in patients that weigh 80 kilograms or less, for simplification, some hospitals have standardized the pre-op C-section dose of ANSEF to 2 grams for all adults. Now, some current consensus guidelines have increased the dose from 2 grams to 3 grams for antibiotic prophylaxis in patients weighing 120 kilograms or more who are undergoing non-obstetrical surgery. However, the data from the OB population are actually conflicting regarding this 2 gram versus 3 gram ANSEF dose. 
All right, so let's take a look at this data a little bit more. Two clinical studies support a 3-gram ANCEP dose among obese patients, whereas two others do not. In one cohort study, women who are obese and who were given 2 grams of ANCEP had antibiotic tissue concentrations at the time of skin incision that were less than the MIC, that's the minimally inhibitory concentration, for gram-negative rods. A considerable portion of obese and extremely obese women did not achieve the MIC, which was stated as 4 micrograms per gram for these gram-negative rods in adipose tissues at time of the initial skin incision or at time of wound closure. However, among trials that actually randomized obese patients to either a 2-gram or a 3-gram prophylactic ANCEF dose, adipose tissue concentrations did not significantly differ between the two groups. Now, because of these conflicting outcomes, likely due to differences in study design and definitions of what the MIC actually was, a new population pharmacokinetic analysis was performed using the aggregated data from three of these clinical studies. This modeling concluded that a 2-gram dose of ANSEF had a high probability of achieving concentrations above the MIC in overweight and obese women. Furthermore, a multi-center retrospective cohort study that compared the 2-gram versus the 3-gram ANSEF dose among about 335 obese women weighing more than 300 pounds did not find a reduction in cervical site infections. Once again, that's a clinical pearl. In a large retrospective cohort study that compared a 2-gram to a 3-gram ANSEF dose in women weighing more than 300 pounds, no significant difference in surgical site infection was found. So, as we aim for a minimum or the lowest dose of antibiotic that's required to get the desired outcome, it seems that a standard 2-gram dose of ANSEF pre-op C-section is sufficient. Okay, when we come back, our next section will cover antimicrobial skin preparations and vaginal preparations and their effectiveness in reducing infections after cesarean delivery. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Because of the dual source of infectious organisms, the skin and the vagina, in C-section deliveries, investigators have explored interventions other than IV antibiotics to prevent infections like antimicrobial skin and vaginal cleansing agents. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends that pre-op skin cleansing before cesarean delivery with an alcohol-based solution should be performed unless contraindicated. A reason choice is a chlorhexidine-based alcohol skin preparation. Additionally, cleansing the vagina with an antiseptic solution immediately before cesarean has been adopted into some practices. 
a meta-analysis demonstrated that pre-op vaginal cleansing in laboring patients or those with ruptured membranes reduced the risk of endometritis and post-op fever, but not wound infection. The majority of included studies used 10% Popovo iodine on a sponge stick for 30 seconds. Also, a single trial of 0.25% chlorhexidine vaginal wipes before elective cesarean delivery reported reduced infectious morbidity overall, which was largely due to reduction in endometritis. Vaginal cleansing before C-section in laboring patients and those with ruptured membranes using either popovo iodine or chlorhexidine may be considered. Chlorhexidine gluconate solutions with high concentrations of alcohol are contraindicated for surgical preparation of the vagina. But solutions of chlorhexidine that have low concentrations, that's defined as 4% or less, are safe and effective for off-label use as a vaginal surgical prep, and it may be used as an alternative to iodine-based preparations in cases of allergy or when preferred by the surgeon, and that's according to the ACOG Practice Bulletin. Okay, well, now that we've covered the vaginal and the topical skin prep, what about antibiotic prophylaxis intravenously? Well, remember that the most important risk factor for infection in the postpartum period is cesarean delivery, with rates of post-op infection significantly higher than would be predicted compared with rates from other surgical procedures. As with other non-infected surgical cases, antibiotic prophylaxis is recommended for all cesarean deliveries unless the patient is already receiving an antibiotic regimen with equivalent broad-spectrum coverage like for chorioamnionitis, and such prophylaxis should be administered within 60 minutes before the start of the cesarean delivery. When this is not possible, like the need for an emergent delivery, prophylactic antibiotics should be administered as soon as possible after the incision is made. Antibiotics that are effective against gram-positive bacteria, gram-negative bacteria, and some anaerobic bacteria are used for prophylaxis for C-section. A variety of antibiotics have been shown to be efficacious for prophylaxis, including cefazolin, cefotitan, cefiroxime, ampicillin, Pepercillin, cefoxetin, and ampicillin sombactam. One retrospective study of non-elective emergency deliveries found that ANCEF, a first-generation cephalosporin, and cefoxetin, a second-generation cephalosporin, were equally efficacious in preventing endometritis, with ANCEF costing 80% less than cefoxetin. Similarly, a meta-analysis of antibiotic trials confirmed that beta-lactam and cephalosporins had comparable efficacy for cesarean delivery prophylaxis. Single-dose therapy has been shown to be as efficacious as multi-dose therapy for uncomplicated cesarean deliveries in most studies. Single-dose therapy also reduces the cost, potential toxicity, and the risk of colonization with resistant organisms. Now, for cesarean delivery, prophylaxis, a single dose of targeted antibiotic like a first-generation cephalosporin, is the first-line antibiotic of choice 
unless significant drug allergies are present. For women with a history of significant penicillin or cephalosporin allergy like anaphylaxis or angioedema, a single-dose combination of clindamycin and an aminoglycoside is a reasonable alternative for cesarean delivery prophylaxis, although the data are limited to support this recommendation. All right, let's talk about dose once more time. Now, we've covered this briefly in this session, but let's review this once again for clarity. A one gram intravenous dose of ANSEF as prophylaxis before C-section may be considered for women weighing 80 kilos or less. Considering the low cost and the favorable safety profile of ANSEF, current consensus guidelines have suggested that weight-based dosages may be considered, acknowledging that outcome studies have not shown a decreased infection morbidity in heavier patients. Increasing the dose to 2 grams for patients that weigh 80 kilos or more is recommended. However, the benefit of administering 3 grams in obstetric patients weighing 120 kilos or more has not clearly yet been established. So, for ease of administration, some institutions and the college recognizes a uniform dispensation of 2 grams of ANSEF for all adults undergoing C-section as prophylaxis. Recently, the C-SOAP trial, which stands for C-section optimal antibiotic prophylaxis, increased our understanding about optimizing antibiotic prophylaxis at cesarean delivery. This multi-center randomized controlled trial evaluated the benefits of 500 milligrams of IV Zithromax infused over one hour in addition to the standard antibiotic prophylaxis in over 2,000 women undergoing non-elective cesarean. In this study, women who received adjuvant Zithromax had a significant reduction in the primary composite outcome of endometritis, wound infection, or other infections. The number of patients who would need to be treated to prevent one study outcome was only 17, and there was no significant difference in neonatal composite outcome that included death and serious neonatal complications. Adjuvant Zithromax in cost-effective analysis has been shown to be cost savings in non-elective and elective cesarean deliveries. However, no randomized controlled trials are available for the effect of Zithromax antibiotic prophylaxis on infection morbidity with elective cesarean deliveries. So given these findings, according to the college, the addition of azithromycin infused over one hour to a standard antibiotic prophylaxis may be considered for women undergoing non-elective cesarean delivery. Regardless of which IV antibiotic prophylactic regimen is chosen, remember that the most appropriate timing for administration of prophylactic administrations at C-section is pre-incision. A meta-analysis of three randomized trials with a combined total sample size of over 700 participants supported the use of antibiotic prophylaxis for C-section administered up to 60 minutes before skin incision rather than after umbilical cord clamping. For most antibiotics, including ANSEF, prophylaxis should be administered within one hour before skin incision. Additionally, patients with lengthy surgical procedures, that's defined as two drug half-lives of the antibiotic, which is four hours for ANSEF and measured from the initiation of the pre-op dose, not from the onset of surgery, or those who have excessive blood loss defined as greater than 1,500, should receive an additional intraoperative dose of the same antibiotic given for pre-incision prophylaxis. 
As we wrap up the podcast, let's cover one final clinical scenario, and that's management of the known MRSA carrier pre-operative delivery. Well, although intranasal or topical, like skin wash, antimicrobial decolonization protocols have been studied for the prevention of recurrent skin and soft tissue infections from MRSA carriers, the overall efficacy, the optimal dosage, and the duration of these regimens remains uncertain. In the context of skin and soft tissue infections alone, nasal mupirocin has been shown to decrease the prevalence of nasal MRSA colonization, but does not reduce the incidence of first-time skin and soft tissue infections. In addition, there's concerns about high levels of mupirocin resistance, which have been shown by certain analysis of MRSA isolates in certain community settings. Although a pre-op skin preparation using chlorhexidine alcohol was shown to reduce rates of surgical infections compared with popovo iodine, Chlorhexidine skin wipes used alone had no effect on lowering skin and soft tissue infection rates among MRSA carriers. Now, finally, a Cochrane review found no benefit from oral antibiotics for the eradication of MRSA colonization among patients in the healthcare setting. And oral antibiotics are not currently routinely recommended just for the purpose of MRSA decolonization. According to the college, any potential benefit of pre-op decolonization protocols for MRSA carriers may be limited in obstetric populations to women who have a planned cesarean delivery and who are known before the delivery to be MRSA colonized, and that's defined as those with a history of MRSA infection or a positive culture In the past, routine screening of obstetrical patients for MRSA colonization is not recommended. However, in obstetric patients who are known already to be MRSA colonized, consideration may be given to adding a single dose of vancomycin to the recommended antibiotic prophylaxis regimen for women undergoing cesarean delivery like ANSEF or an alternative for those with a beta-lactam allergy. Now, here's a clinical pearl that vancomycin alone is not sufficient coverage for cesarean delivery surgical prophylaxis. Our final clinical scenario has to do with antibiotic prophylaxis in protection of infective endocarditis. Well, infective endocarditis prophylaxis is not recommended for women with acquired or congenital structural heart disease for either vaginal or cesarean delivery in the absence of infection except possibly for the small subset of patients at highest potential risk of adverse cardiac outcomes. Only cardiac conditions associated with the highest risk of adverse outcomes from endocarditis are appropriate for infective endocarditis prophylaxis. And this is primarily for patients undergoing dental procedures that involve manipulation of gingival tissue or the pre-apical region of teeth or perforation of the oral mucosa. However, because of the potential for significant morbidity and mortality based on expert opinion and a limited retrospective study of women with congenital heart disease, the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology recommend that the use of prophylactic antibiotic therapy be considered for vaginal delivery 
in patients with the highest risk of adverse outcomes from endocarditis. Those at highest risk are women with cyanotic cardiac disease or prosthetic valves or both. Mitral valve prolapse is not considered a lesion that ever needs infective endocarditis prophylaxis. For those not already receiving intrapartum antibiotic therapy for another indication that would also provide coverage against endocarditis, antibiotic regimens for endocarditic prophylaxis can be administered as close to 30 to 60 minutes before anticipated time of delivery as is feasible. The types of regimens for infective endocarditis prophylaxis for high-risk women can include intravenous ampicillin, 2 grams intravenously, or for those that are allergic to penicillin or ampicillin, ANSEF, again at a 1 gram intravenous dose, or clindamycin, 600 milligrams intravenously. Orally, amoxicillin can be given at a 2-gram dose, and those allergic to penicillin or ampicillin can receive cephalexin at a 2-gram dose, clindamycin 600 mg, or zithromax at a dose of 500 mg. Okay, well that wraps up our podcast covering the ACOG new practice bulletin from September 2018 on the use of prophylactic antibiotics in obstetrics, specifically labor and delivery. We'll see you next time.